0: Hey there, Boardroom podcast listeners. Got a great podcast coming up with Peter Townen. First, let me tell you about the California Gold Surf Auction. It serves the global audience of premium surfboard and surf memorabilia collectors, providing perpetual access to the marketplace with decades of historical expertise and millions of dollars in sold inventory. And for the upcoming auction, they've got boards by Greeno, Liss, Lopez Brewer, Diffenderfer, and many, many others, over 50 lots. You can preview, register, and bid on auction lots beginning April 2nd at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And the auction heats up Friday, April 16th as the lots begin closing at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Download the app for your phone or tablet, or simply go online with your laptop or PC. California Gold Surf Instagram, California Gold Surf Auction. Facebook, California Gold Surf Auction. Auctions. The Vintage Surf Once again, that's auctions.thevintagesurfauctions.com. Friday, April 16th, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, the California Gold Surf Auction. From rare dead stock to the latest release, you can find the exact sneaker you're looking for on eBay. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. And with eBay's authenticity guarantee, a team of independent professional authenticators perform a rigorous inspection of the sneakers you purchase before they're sent to you. So you can shop confidently knowing the pair is the real deal. And for the sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers of $100 or more, making it free to sell or flip your collection. With other sites taking as much as 25%, you're going to have a lot of extra money left over for more sneakers. Check out ebay.com slash sneakers. ebay.com slash sneakers. In a few days, the International World Surfing Tour, starting out as the IPS, then evolving into the ASP, and now in its third iteration as the WSL, begins its 45th year. Or is it its 44th year? Does 2020 count as a year? I doubt it. As a side note, this is going to wreak havoc on trivia questions and the recounting of historical timelines in general. What is an almost certainty is that this week, swell depending, the WSL continues its abbreviated 2021 season with the Australian leg kicking off at Newcastle. And also for certain is that 45 years ago, Peter Townen was the very first IPS world champion. PT, a great bloke with an incredible ability to recount surfing history and to put it into perspective in relation to today's tour on this episode of the Boardroom Podcast. 1976 world champion peter townant let us begin welcome pt to the boardroom uh, podcast it's good to see you again my
1: friend yes mate in these strange days we've been living in for about a year now (laughs)
0: exactly if you can pull that microphone up to you as close as possible. I know it's a little bit far away, but uh, that's perfect. Okay. So yeah, it's tough. Um, yeah, we were talking vaccines and, and COVID and it's, it's crazy times.
1: Absolutely. It was the first time in 40 years that I didn't go home to Australia because I couldn't because I'm an Australian citizen and if I went home, I wouldn't be able to come back uh-huh. Those Australian citizens are in lockdown and they just extended that lockdown until June.
0: Really? When did they extend it? Like this week or something? Like
1: about 10 days ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, of course, you've been following the WSL quarantine. They, they got the crazy crazy quarantine. They escort you to a hotel, put you in a room with no room key. You're not allowed out for two weeks. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I just um, did an interview with Joe Turpel actually, when he was in his hotel room. So, yeah. <laughs> crazy times, right?
1: Crazy times. It's changed our society for life i think i yeah. think our, our whole interaction as community as business it's all changed for the, forever i think
0: yeah i think you're right <laughs> i made you some tea some oolong, i see that oolong tea are you a tea drinker
1: well if you've been living in china for a while of course you drink tea but they they, they become coffee drinkers too but more oh, tea still. Oh, that's
0: interesting that's
1: maybe there's room for some no they opened four thousand starbucks in what five years or something. Oh, wow.
0: Crazy. (laughs) Well, look, um, I usually start off the interview with um, something to lubricate our brains a little bit. So I know you're a huge music fan. But one thing I know, I think you're a lot like me is that we don't listen to any contemporary music. Do you listen to any
1: contemporary music? Yeah, I listened to I listened to some new stuff. I, what I like, mean, give me some although bass. although the other not, the other night watching the Grammys, I was I so off base. I mean, I, the, to me, the best thing of the night was uh, Silk Sonic, I with, think I with, it. which was uh, Bruno Mars's new band. Oh, I did see that. Yeah, there, where they. Revived look, earth, wind, and fire. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that, actually, those suits
0: look like what you and Ian Cairns were wearing. Exactly. A bit. <laughs> Polyester.
1: So, so I, I pay attention to new stuff like, um, I don't know if you have the Allman Betts brand, which is all the kids from the Allman Brothers. That was the last actual live music concert I saw. And How was and, that? Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. I saw them in the coach outs in March. Cool. And, um, and 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 uh, it's like seeing the Allman Brothers. Only it's not a tribute band. These are the real kids of, well, the, of the guys. Dickie
0: Betts' son is an amazing guitar player. Yeah. And the Allman, the the Allman that's in that band, you probably know as well as I do. He's the son of Greg, right. and he's um, he was sort of not associated with Greg Allman through right. through you know his period of just you know being famous. Right. He, he lived with his mother in Texas, I think. And, right.
1: But the roots are there, right, and the genes are there. And and when they when uh, Diggy Betts' his kid, I think his name's Dwayne Dwayne Betts. I it think is. It, it is Dwayne, Dwayne Betts. Betts yeah. Is um, when he gets up there and sings "Blue Skies," you think it's his dad. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's so so close. It's ridiculous.
0: That's awesome, and that's probably my favorite song of all time. If yeah. not, you know, it's right there. So,
1: so they do. A, I just got their new record, and it's yeah. really really good. Um, yeah, so I, I listen to the, I, I stay in touch with kind of the new stuff, but um, I, I'm not into this. This <laughs> it's hard to describe what it is. It, it's all these chicks with the with the uh, the the rap thing with with too much production, all this dancing, and then it's I'm I not s- I'm not into that. Yeah,
0: right? I saw that one bit too, or there's probably more but, than one that were very similar, and it just. First of all, I could tell she was lip syncing, which was a bummer for me. I want people to perform live. But yeah, um, not super into it. Um, Let me ask you this.
1: And then, like, I just got the new Matt Costa. It's really good. Oh, really? You know, my favorite place to go. I'll be there later on. No, lose records. I go (laughs) by. Let me close this real quick. It's getting chilly. And then, then there's this country guy at the moment that's been causing all sorts of controversy. And I'm not a big country guy, except occasionally, you yeah. know, like I'm an outlaw guy like Waylon Jennings. And yeah. like I've seen the Sun shooter and, and, uh, he's incredible. Yeah. But, uh, uh, this Gray Wallen guy is really good. I uh, don't know if you, uh, he's got a new double album record out that's really good. What's his name? Gray Wallen. Gray? Yeah. I think it's Gray Wallen. Okay. Wallen's his surname. I know. He played Saturday Night Live. Okay. And it was really good. He, okay. He's good.
0: And what's what kind of country are like 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 old out, school? little
1: little out, little outlawish country? Yeah. You know that Waylon Jennings side of the, yeah. the tree. You know, mm-hmm.
0: cool. I'll check that out. I'm into country music.
1: So, um, what about
0: this? The weekend or the I, Super Bowl? Did I, you even know was, who he was?
1: It's pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was one of the maybe the worst Super Bowl halftime I've ever seen.
0: i agree it seems to be split down the middle 50 50 people were just absolutely enamored and in love with him, or
1: and then he gave the the grammys a finger he wouldn't even appear on the grammys oh is that what happened
0: (laughs) oh yeah i kind of enjoyed um the very first kid um you know the um harry styles yeah yeah he he kind of when he came out i'm like okay that's pt's david bowie right there he had the boa thing he had it was like okay child prodigies you know singer kid Turns into adult rock and roll guy. That was kind of the vibe I was getting.
1: Yeah, but I listen still to a lot of the old school stuff. I mean, I play my vinyl all. I mean, I have 6,000 yeah. vinyl records, you know, and yeah. I have a turntable in my bedroom. I play my vinyl a lot. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I try to stay in touch with some of the new stuff.
0: Yeah. yeah. What about the concept of playing an album all the way through. That's
1: lost on your children, my kids. Yeah, but it seems to be coming back. I was in Barnes and Noble's this week, and they had more vinyl than they had CDs. Huh. That's pretty cool.
0: <laughs> I'm always pushing that on my kids. Like, if you listen to this, you have to listen to the entire album. Right. You can't just listen to one track. Right. Anyway, speaking of uh, old school, um, let me shift gears a little bit. Michael Peterson, MP. Your, your arch rival. Tell me a little bit uh, what was it like surfing in a heat with. MP, and give our listeners a little bit of flavor about what he was all about.
1: Well, you have to go back just a little bit before that, because we grew up together. We were in the clubbies together at Heads uh, uh, and Kulungata, which is Greenmount Point. And then after that, uh, we weren't really competitors at first, because he was a year older. So I was in the juniors, and he was in the men's. And then we began to have to compete against each other. That's when it became a rivalry. But we grew up together a block apart, uh, building cut-down surfboards under our parents' house. He'd shape them, Tommy'd glass them, and, and I'd sand them, because I was only one of that had a little black deck of sander. <laughs> and, uh, and and, and we, we weren't rivals at that point. I mean, if you just saw recently one of our great statesmen and uh, mentors, Gordon Phillipson, passed away in Australia, and he was the head of Surfing Queensland for... a 10 years or maybe even longer with my dad my dad was uh his best mate and then also he was the head of australian surfing surfing australia at some point and he just passed away but he, he took michael and i on our first ever trip to noosa we, yeah. we the two of us in the back you know of his Ford fairlane. We, we surfed noosa with nobody you wow. know like michael and i got dropped off at, at the gate at the to walk around the tea tree and Gordon liked to surf Johnson's, which is Little Cove. And so he left us. Michael went or, and I went round a tea tree. There was no one out. It was six feet. Wow. <laughs> and for the first hour we had it, just him and I are the only ones out. <laughs> so great.
0: And you're, and you're like 13 or 14.
1: Uh, we were probably a little older. We were probably 15, 16, somewhere yep. in that range, you know. Yeah. It was like, uh, I'm going to say it was 69. Yeah. You know?
0: but, but, but eventually... So then we
1: became serious rivals. I mean... He, i I was runner up to t- twice in the Australian titles to him yeah in uh seventy two and seventy four I was second to him both times
0: and when you say rivals like do you, i mean like like not talking anymore, not friendly well in it was a car park uh, or, not, or, yeah or just purposely like, not well engaging. not only
1: that you had the other thing that was going on that's another dynamic, don't people people don't understand We were both surfboard shapers, we were right. both surfing different designs, shaping different designs. So the town of Koolagata, you had this split. There was the guys that went the, the stylistic, uh, more midget Farrelly way, which Keith Paul, which was me. And then you had the MP crew that went the Nat, yeah. Nat Wayne way. And so the boards we were making, the guys that liked that way went that way. And, and, you know, I went off to work for Dick Van Stralen, which sent me even further in the direction of, you know, more, uh, more gunny, uh, Hawaiian-influenced, you know... Right. Downrail. I mean, uh-huh. that, that's one of the great stories in Russell Hughes bringing back a Hinson downrailer, first one we ever saw, and gave it to Dick. And that's when we started making downrails and really started to make the barrels at Kira. Yeah. You know, now we had an edge to hold us in, you know, and yeah. instead of sliding down to the bottom and getting your head ripped off. I'm still a big fan
0: of that Hinson downrail, the modern one that Sean Madison's making.
1: Yeah. I mean, I. Hinson gets forgotten in the mix that how important, I mean, Lopez credits him with when, sure. the, when the down rail thing happened. Yes. he uh, it, it changed the way we rode the barrel. Yeah. People weren't riding barrels like we started to, uh, you know, like early seventies, then it really changed, you know, when yeah. the down rail let, allowed us to hold an edge.
0: Yeah. Um, but MP back to MP. So, like you guys were friends, then your rivalries. Well, and, and then the but, but but, the but then the
1: rivalry started to dissipate because I started to become more Hawaii and and I was succeeding in a way, you know, I was getting in Duke finals and and uh, and he really wasn't. Yeah. And then Rabbit moved up out of the juniors into the men's, and then it was on between MP and Rabbit. That was that was a, and, that and, was a and, thicker and, rivalry. And, you think they were, they were kind of equal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think Rabbit and MPs was more intense from a confrontational point of view. Mine was we, – we ended up uh, – Michael and I he, – he suddenly, after I made that Smirnoff final in the 30-foot surf, yeah. Michael had a different uh, – he didn't say it, but I could tell he yeah. looked at me differently. Yeah. And then in 76 – this is another interesting little point – we both got in the final of the Duke together with Ian Cairns. The three of us are in the final of the Duke at sunset. And, and, and at that point I was living in a house by myself, ba- babysitting at a Uki Beach Park and MP would come over and we'd listen to some music and hang out and, you know,
0: well, look, 76 was an incredible, it's an interesting year from my perspective on the North Shore, especially with you and with Ian and with rabbit, right? So, the listeners know that '76 was really the year that, that Rabbit and Ian were banished, more or less. And where were you in all of this? Did you? Purposely, I was neutral. But how did you purposely make yourself neutral? No,
1: because it just happened that way. And I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, in the in the in the pack because uh, I had befriended this guy Kenny that owned the house on the beach at Ukiah. Then he was away and he needed someone to house sit, so I was in the house by myself what was happening between i mean you knew what was happening with
0: rabbit and ian they're they're basically in lockdown so to speak up at the cooee condos and and were you having communication with them or were you like oh there are those guys on the beach I'm no, staying the I, hell away i mean i I, I
1: wasn't going around to hang out at the house but right. I, I, at the beach you know yeah. like cuz the focal point at that point if you if there if there was any uh, if there wasn't a, a swell for Sunset Pipe or you know Eva, we'd all be at off the wall, all of us, every day. I yeah. mean, Merkel had set up the camera, and everyone was down there, and and so no, no, I wasn't standoffish from them, but I wasn't socializing with them either. Right. I, I was, I was a bit of a loner that year. That that year because I was living in that house by myself.
0: You yeah, know? yeah. And 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 how thick was the vibe? I mean, I know it was very very thick, but like, give the listeners a sense of. What was going
1: down with with you know Ian and p i, I
0: don't i don't want see, to see uh, see
1: my 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 late my part everyone kind of it got collapsed in busting down the door into it. it looked like it was one year, but it wasn't year it was over three winters yeah i mean i didn't get punched until seventy eight yeah, and that was the last real big incident right, and what was that all about that was because I was standing. The truth is, I was standing up to Fred Hemmings and the IPS that it wasn't a, 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 a association for the surfers. It was a marketing company owned by Hemmings, and we were trying to get more say in what was going to go on. And um, and what happened is, I had a column in the Australian papers called "Surfing with PT" in the Daily Mirror. It was syndicated nationwide, and through the Bronze Starsies and Mike Hurst and i happened to not be at home i was somewhere in 78 i wasn't at home and a column was due and ian ghost wrote the column aloha spirit is dead with my name on it okay I which, remember said, this, which, yes. said, which said that the the hui has killed the aloha spirit and duke kanamoku and someone faxed that to hawaii Right. And somehow it ended up in Rothman's hands. That's what stimulated all of that. Okay.
0: Okay. That's right. Yes. This is all. <laughs> I know you've told me the story and it's coming back to me. And,
1: and, and what's funny today um, is is that Rothman and I are pretty good mates. As you probably saw when they gave me the lifetime achievement award at SEMA, he was in my tribute video, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So interesting. So, um, so, 78 you were probably finishing up big wednesdays
1: we had finished big wednesday 77 and i had dropped off the tour so i'd gone from number one to number 14 i believe it was number 14 and then i came back with a vengeance so i came back in 78 to number five so my i i in, in when I, when i look reflect on my career my best competitive career was 79 you, I, you I was an in, event, right? Isn't yeah, it? and I was in three, three man-on-man finals, and the last one, MR had to beat me in Hallie Ever and eight to 10-foot surf to win his first world title. Right. So I was way better, even though I finished number five as a competitor. You know, now it was all man-on-man. Remember in 76, there was no man-on-man. It was yeah. six-man-eats, and you, and you played the percentages, get in the first three, get to the final, and go for it. In, in you know, 78, 79, it's all man-on-man now. And that was a whole different ball game, and I was pretty good at the man on man I mean, I have one of the better records sixty two and a half percent i think win loss uh you know in in man on man competition yeah and uh so I always reflect back and go, you know like i uh, my competition year was the best year was seventy nine yeah but but I was at the height of my abilities in seventy eight I yeah. mean I'd come off a whole year of. Doing nothing but surfing, making the movie Big Wednesday. Surfing had really good boards. You know, I had my own boards. I was shaping. Parish was making me beautiful boards. Uh, it was all come. It was as good as it gets. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't get better than
0: seventy eight. Well, I'm, let, let's stay with seventy eight because I'm interested in this sort of this this uh, confrontation. So you're backing Fred Hemmings and you're backing the
1: IPS and you're saying, but we're, we're we're butting heads with Fred though about surfers having a say
0: okay but but so that didn't really have anything to do with getting punched out it was no, more the it arti-
1: totally t- totally did
0: oh i thought it had something more to do with the article that was written like, well
1: that but that article was written because of the confrontation with, with fred and and okay so the the Huey
0: and eddie and those guys uh, well were no on Fred's uh, 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 well, and that uh, side well
1: no and and ian probably wrote the, the the art the this article based on his feelings not my feelings well, exactly <laughs> right you know, there's because no there's a super funny story in busting down the door, in 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 real life is so they were having a premiere in Huntington at Bellaterra, and uh
0: the pre- premiere busting down the door about ten years ago or whatever. Five yeah, years ago. yeah, and
1: so Sean invited Eddie to come, yeah. and Eddie came, and uh, under the condition that Sean said, "If will you escort him?"
0: And who's, uh, who's uh, you? You and me? He,
1: and you. I said, "No problem." So. They had the i don't know if you went that night, but they had us in a, in a, a line of chairs signing autographs and and Eddie came down the line and shook hands with me and, and, and Ian stuck his hand out and he slapped it away and and uh and and uh kept going and then I went into the theater and sat with Eddie you know next to me, and we're watching the movie and uh and it, the part comes up about about the the article in the magazine that I didn't write, and Eddie jabs me in the ribs and goes. I hit the wrong fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> to the, they'd never known to this day. Oh,
0: that's closet.
1: <laughs> what
0: happened when he slapped Ian's hand away as he's walking down the line of water? Everybody Auto?
1: just went, whoa. What he, did Ian do? Just kind of He just took it in went, stride. Went with it, yeah. What else are you going to do? We're yeah. in a public right. situation. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, you, you and Ian... You know, you're sort of um, tied together in history and, and through friendship. And then um, you came here in 79 and you started the NSSA together. Married
1: a girl from Fountain Valley. That's a critical part of that 79. You got married. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I'm, I'm just want to, I'm, I'm interested in your relationship with Ian. It's not as close
1: as it used to be. Uh, not at all, because we, after the riots, In OP Pro. We had a falling out over our business relationships. I had already moved on from our partnership. We started a company called Sports and Media Services. And that started the, the genesis of the Body Glove Grand Prix, the Hang Tan Grand Prix, which led to the OP Pro. And at that same time, we became the first executive directors of NSSA. All of those things were under, the, under what we had a company that Meg Bonanno was the first employee. Mm-hmm. She, was, she was straight out of high school. And, uh, and we had sports and media services. When Ian pulled the plug after the riots and went back to West Australia, we had owned a travel agency. This is the facts. And I had kept my name on the paperwork, even though we were no longer business partners, to help him out. Well, now I was working for McNona at Surfing Magazine. When he pulled the plug, he didn't take care of business. And because of the leases and that on the IATA, it, it, they came after me. I got served and sued, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and, uh, and never took care of it. Right. So okay. And we, for a long time, uh, we didn't talk hardly at all. Yeah. But what's funny, and we're just talking about this, I just saw Ian this morning. I actually had to stop by his house in Laguna to drop Alyssa's NSSA board off from the exhibit we'd had at the Huntington Surf Museum a while ago and talked to him for a while this morning. Asked how his health's doing. You know, you knew he had a heart attack. Yes. Seems good. Seems good.
0: So that's that's kind of sweet, right? Do you feel like there's water under the bridge that, that I mean you guys are getting older. Uh,
1: yeah, we we we're, we're not inviting each other out for dinner or anything, but we are so in social atmosphere, we're right. cordial and yeah, but there's know. still some animosity that hasn't been resolved. Uh, yeah. yeah. He he's got his new, you know, surfing.com mm-hmm. uh, thing going on and he's got the TV show with uh, with it's on Fox and stuff and you know. Um you know, he 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 uh he and I we're cordial. Yeah. Okay. We're not mates like we used to be, put it that way. Right. We were, we were pretty hardcore mates there for a while. Do you think
0: that'll ever resolve?
1: Uh, I I have no idea.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um I mean, you you know, you grow you you grow, you grow up having people that if shit went wrong, you can call. Yeah you probably I think I probably have on this hand there there's five of them that I call. Yeah. one of them I'm going to see later today rusty who rusty prezentova oh
0: rusty yeah yeah you <laughs> said <rasty>. rusty
1: rusty <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, so you know it's like uh, as as you probably remember in in my in my speech at the waterman ball I said, if I'm in a brawl, I've got two guys sitting over there at my table. I can count. I go Rusty and Andy, but Coach Andy Vadone. <laughs> yeah. So what you're
0: saying is Ian's not on the list.
1: Not on the list. Right. I wouldn't be calling him if something went bad, you know. Right. McNona's on that list.
0: I just, you know, I guess the romantic in me would like to see you guys somehow patch it up and make it right.
1: Yeah, from the Bronze Aussies point of view, you're probably right. You know what I did is uh, there's a company in Huntington Beach, uh, Hidden Huntington Beach is a TV series done by this journalist, Chris Epting. He's done fantastic books on the history of Orange County and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he has uh, Hidden Huntington Beach. And because the Bronze Aussies had the surf shop on Main Street with Chuck Dent, they've done coffee mugs with the logo on. And so I dropped a couple off for Ian this morning. Oh, Okay. (laughs) Big Wally, as I like to call him.
0: Big Wally. <laughs> well, um, real quick, back to MP because the surfboard thing interests me. Did you ever ride any of MPs like triple wing, fang tails, or did you ever ride an MP surfboard?
1: When we were when we were in our early days, and we were both. Uh, entre, uh, what do you call apprentice shapers around at Joe Larkin's? We both started off at Joe Larkin Mm -hmm. and the the head shaper there, Brian Furry Ofston, who went off to start good time. Uh, we were being taught by him and Joe, Joe shaped too. But at that point, furry was doing most of the shaping. I got MP to make me a board and I couldn't write it. (laughs) So I never got another one after that because I just realized that the style of board, I, I, I didn't surf with that kind of power. I surf, I surfed with a, a a finesse power, not a not an animal power. Uh-huh. That was animal power. Yeah, you can have finesse power. You know, like yeah. you know, and I was more like the midget Farrelly Keith Paul. And a lot of people have always, even the American mags in those days, would compare me to Skip Fry. Yeah, you know.
0: Yeah. So, so the the board maybe um, did you sort of require the board to provide speed for yeah. you so that you could then do with the speed what you wanted or, and and maybe MPs' boards, you kind of had to work them up to get them going. But then once you do, I, I don't know. You just... had
1: to push MPs' boards. I mean, the boards had big fins in them, the, the initial ones. Yeah. And then later on, he went the complete opposite way with all the rocker in them with small fins on the back. He yeah. was way ahead of his time, most of, of everybody else with the surfboard design. I mean, if you look at the board that he wrote in Morning the Earth, versus the board he won the stubbies on. Oh my God, they're so far apart. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. And, and MP in the water is a competitor. Like, who would you compare him to today? That's that. I, I know he was tenacious. I know he was like head down. He had a, he, he had a cut off his mom.
1: He had a innate sense for the ocean though. He, he could sense what were the waves he needed to catch to win. Yeah. He, he and he, and in a lot of things he, he understood the lineup and where the wave was that I needed, because in those days you've got to remember every heat was six people in the water, and, uh, and plus he had these arms down to his knees that he could paddle faster than anybody else. Yeah. Well, you know. And on the, on the couple of times I beat him, what's kind of funny is I sent you that thing about Newcastle, right? And uh, that's one of the ones I beat him in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. right and and yeah. uh and then i beat him in the north shore open i think you know head to head but but i didn't beat him that too many times and i would never have been the surfer i am to that i became yeah. if it wasn't for the trying to be as good as M- or better than mp every day in Coolangatta. yeah you know absolutely yeah. That's <laughs> it, made, it made it mean we you know it rose us up together and then Rabbit was behind us, and it caused Rabbit to be that much better too.
0: Yeah, uh, Tommy Peterson, his brother. Yeah. he's still around. Do, oh yeah, do yeah. You, I just do can you run an, into him. And oh yeah, talk I always,
1: him? I always see. Him. Oh good. Yeah, he's as crazy as ever. <laughs> Is he a little bit? You know, he's still making boards. Yeah. still shaping some boards. I mean, he, he, he. Uh, you know, I, I started making the the fish designs in australia not from when we were at the world contest in 72 but when i came here and i met skip fry for the first time in person at gns in san diego and skip was, happened to be i'd gone down to see mike eaton yeah and uh and skip was there that day and he was shaping a fish and i then mike introduced me and we start, i started he started talking and i went back and made my first ever fish only i didn't use two fins i put three fins on it Right. And, and, and the brown and The, the board, purple, purple, brown? Flyer, purple, purple flyer. Purple right. flyer, it's called. I've still got it. I've still wow. got the board. Really? It changed and influenced my small wave board direction for the rest of my life. I That board, I continued to make single fin fishes forever and ever and ever. You so know?
0: Skip Fry is a direct um, lineage to this board, which changed Absolutely. your whole trip. Conversation
1: that uh at that GNS. Uh, I have a great photo of us out front with Hank Warner Eaton. Skip's not in the photo, though. He was still inside shaping. Yeah. You know?
0: Well, let's get into Mike Eaton because he was a really influential guy in your, in your surfboard design. Um, but,
1: we, but before we talk about Mike, who was, yeah. uh, befriended me and was a really good friend and had a big influence on my success, as we have to not forget, everyone just thinks that the whole Bonzo thing was Mike Eaton. Right. But it's the Campbell brothers. It was right. the collaboration of, of uh, Malcolm and Duncan with Eaton that went to Bing. And that's how that all happened. And then he sent me the handwritten letter that, to Australia that I made the first one at good time, uh, which was Brian Austin yeah. in 73, which won the Newcastle contest.
0: <laughs> so, so just so the listeners know, Mike Eaton sent you a letter
1: to Colingata. With a hand-drawn description and, and dimensions of a bonzo. And, and had you ever seen one before? Never even knew it existed. And, the ads hadn't come, even come out yet.
0: And, and you took that and went, I'm making one of these because Mike had befriended you on the North Shore that well, year? Well,
1: because he'd already built me some incredible boards. I'd been to the finals of the Duke. He built me this 7-4 that I rode to second in the Australian titles to Richard Harvey at Margaret River and Big Margaret River and uh and so i oh, share it's yeah. mike he, he 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 wouldn't be saying this this guy knows what's going on i right. got to make me one of these straight away and i that day i went around pinned that letter on the wall and and you've heard the story is mp turned up right the shape of board and and yeah. and uh because we were both working now at good time yeah and uh and we're i'm in the shape and bay and in those days to our shape and base that didn't have solid walls between them. It had a wall, but, and, and so you could see over. Yeah. And Michael's getting ready in the next bay to do some boards, and he looks over and he sees me, and I'm right at the point where and, – and I have never done one before, so I'm scooping out the concaves. Right. With, a, with a concave surf form, I'd gone and bought one. I'd never had one in my tour. We'd never ha- had concave surf form. We didn't need one, right? Yeah. So I'm scooping out, the and Michael looks over and he goes – have you been smoking something, PT? And I, I start laughing. And I go, "No." He goes, "What are you doing?" And and I go, "I'm making this new new, new surfboard that uh, my friend Mike Eaton, because he knew who Eaton was from the North Shore. He'd been there that winter, and and and, and he go, and he just started laughing. You know, like like I didn't have any clue what I was doing. Wow. And then what was ironic, is I went on to beat him at Newcastle on that board. Ah, wow, classic. <laughs>
0: So the first Bonzers made, made, uh, the Australian version, by you.
1: Right, and then I sent that information to Ian. Right, and Ian made one, which he won the Smirnoff one.
0: Right, that's pretty interesting. Uh, <laughs> like you know, line right. line there from Ian yeah. to you to, to Ian Cairns, and, right. and to the competitive victories that that design right. created right away. People don't realize it's been it hasn't been talked about a whole lot. The competitive nope. success of the early bonzer. Um, I th- I believe the Surfer magazine cover with Ian on it is on a Bonzer. No, no,
1: that's not no. No, the Bonzers that he rode to was win the blue, they were, they're red ones. Oh, red they, red. they were red ones. Okay, yeah.
0: Interesting. So um, you know we're losing these guys, right? Mike Eaton, um, Phil Becker, Phil Becker, yeah, classic. Um,
1: ben Ipa, of
0: course. Um,
1: and uh, and uh, I I would think the next one we'll hear about is Dick Brewer. I mean.
0: Yeah, I just had dinner with a guy who's doing a Dick Brewer documentary, um, Bob Campy. I don't
1: know if you know Bob. I I hear physically, but I hear his mind's pretty shot. That's what I've been told. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I can't speak to it, but I'm sure that, you know, last time I saw him at the boardroom show, which was our last show in 2019... He was there, and you know, it looked like he was getting up in age. There's no doubt. You know, well, I
1: did that thing at, at Shaq with him and Tom Morey that night. Remember, I moderated the conversation. Yeah, yeah it's tough. And huh? and, uh, and and uh, I had bought. I, I was warned that Dick was having, so I had actually bought something. Uh, and whoever brought him that night with him, Chuck Chuck Brewer, I think, yeah, came brother, yeah. had a had a thing that he could read from. And but Tom Morey was sharp as a tack, yeah. and, and Brewer was drifting, but he did a good job in reading what yeah. you know he was given. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, um, yeah, that's that's gonna that's you know I mean, well, what- and
1: when you think about the whole design part of the whole thing, I mean, one of the interesting things is those early guys that. You know, like, look, how old's Hinson? Hinson's got to be in his mid to late 70s, right? Yep, yep. These are the guys that changed it all. Yep. I mean, and then you think about it in the modern context, it's it's the 40th anniversary of Simon I know, creating, that's, that's creating, the, creating the thruster. Right? He, he
0: won it in Airbnb 40 years ago on right. the thruster in between right. Pipe and Bells. Or bells and bells.
1: After he'd showed up at Huntington with one for the Caton and people were laughing when he walked down the beach.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Probably like they were laughing at you with the bonzer. They're like, that's what?
1: Exactly. That's like Michael saying, what have you been smoking, PT? Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, do you think that that the modern surfboard shaper, like the young kid that's 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 picking up a planer and getting into it, that's been doing it for a couple of years, do you think that they... Um, understand the gravity, or do they even understand who Dick Brewer and Mike Henson are? Or do you think that it's completely I, 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 off the radar? I,
1: I remember how much time we used to put in to developing a template.
0: Hey, a quick break in the podcast. I want to tell you about Headstock. Headstock, the Guitar Lovers Festival, November 6th and 7th of 2021, this year in San Diego. Headstock's mission is to showcase the beauty and craftsmanship of guitars, ukuleles, Banjos and other stringed instruments and gears, amps, and accessories. An opportunity for aspiring and enthusiast guitarists and musicians to meet fellow players, luthiers, and manufacturers. A spot for builders and players to commingle in a chilled-out atmosphere and, oh, by the way, listen to great music. Headstock, the Guitar Lovers Festival, November 6th and 7th, 2021, in San Diego, California. And quickly, eBay sneakers, ebaysneakers.com slash sneakers. Go there now, buy your sneakers. Each sneaker receives an authenticity guarantee that includes a digital stamp of authenticity and is customized with the sneakers details at ebay.com slash sneakers. And now back to the podcast.
1: Like you'd see other people's templates. You, you And you'd end up with... I still have one of my original templates. Yeah. You know, like from the, the diamond tails that I started making when I started shaping in... in it's. I started shaping 40 years ago. Yeah. No, 50 years ago. 71. Uh-oh. I yeah. started
0: 71. Just <laughs> 10 years just like yeah. that.
1: <laughs> and, and I still have one of those templates, you know. Mm-hmm. And then those templates became prized possessions. I mean, from where... That was a Joe Larkin version. And then I went to work for Dick. And I still have one of my Dick Van Strallen t- templates too. And those—I don't know if the, the today's guys. I don't know because it's so machine-driven now. Yeah. It's like what Mr. says. He says, "I'm not a surfboard shaper anymore. I'm a finisher. Yeah. <laughs> the blanks come and they're nearly all ready to glass. He says, "I just finished them off." Yeah, you know. And, yeah. and so for us, you, you you had you know like things like you, you'd. Uh, You'd have measurements of the nose and tail rocker, and you'd have a straight edge that you'd plane all that stuff in, and then you'd sit the straight edge on the on the on the blank to see whether you had it right or not. Yeah. And if it was like still a quarter inch, not you've you you got it. the planer out and plane some more off. You know yeah. that doesn't happen anymore, right? No, no, it's, it's <laughs> just kind of so, so do these young guys sit at a cad machine and design their boards or what, i mean the the, the blanks are so, the the machine things are so close to the finished thing but do they really sit down at a cad machine and make a new design
0: i think they do i think that's how it goes <laughs> down and i think a lot of the i know and you know too that a lot of the legendary shapers do that too and rusty's fully rusty's
1: fully cad driven yeah though. yeah
0: for sure and and that makes tons of sense i mean that's just where we are I'm just—I I don't know—I'm just concerned that the culture, the fabric of what surfing is, is so tied into the surfboard and therefore so. Well, tied the other—the other, other
1: thing—the other thing that that I think is—is is, uh, you used to prize the magic board and and you held onto it and you fixed every ding and and now as I said, as I said in a previous interview, I said. I go, boards are like Kleenexes now. You have know, a box of 6.2s, you get a <laughs> crease in one, and you pull out another one. I told Mr. that one. He says, that's the best line I've heard in surfboard design in 10 years. Yeah. It's like a box of Kleenexes. Yeah, every, every pro has a box of 6.2s, right? Yeah. <laughs> and guess, we couldn't do that.
0: I guess the days of a world champion surfer-shaper will never happen again.
1: I think one of the great things that, that could be an incredibly fun thing that the WLs could do was have the top 34 have to shape their own board and write it in a contest. I love it. <laughs> right? Shaped so, it by hand. Yeah. Like no machine. No like, machine. So
0: you can buy a blanket, Mitch's. Just and, like
1: for us, because yeah. in the time in our era, the 70s, half the tour were shaping their own boards. You know, yep. Terry Fitzgerald, Simon Anderson, me, yep. we were all riding our own boards, you yep. know, like Reno, Ian. Jerry, yep. Ian, we were all riding our own boards. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think. Bettleman. Of, they were, they, who was, was th- the last
0: shaper to actually shape his own board? Like Glenn Winton? Like, who, who was the guy?
1: There were probably someone we're not even thinking about in the 80s in the same era as Winton.
0: Yeah. Did it go into the 90s? I don't know.
1: We, I can't to, remember
0: anyone in the 90s. We'd have to rack our brain a little bit to figure that yeah. out. But um, let's move forward a little bit, actually, into modern modern times here. Um so the WSL stuff, first of all, uh, what do you make of Pat O'Connell stepping down from the WSL?
1: The new president.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do you think, do you think that, that Florence Marine X came to Pat and went, hey, things aren't going so good with COVID and the WSL?
1: Well, we I also think Or was it the other way around? Did I also think it's the Hurley family connection.
0: Yeah, for sure. But was it, I guess, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Did Florence approach him? And the Hurley sons reproach him, or do you think? Well, he I remember when out? Pat.
1: You know, I've been a confidant of Pat since he was a Rusty. Well, even before that, I mean, I knew I knew him as a kid, you know, surfing. Yeah. But also, then he was on the Rusty team when I took over the marketing. Yep. And so I had that relationship through endless summer too. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he left Rusty. I never forget. And and we were paying him pretty good at the time to start the realm.
0: Oh, he was part of that.
1: Right. Yeah. And and uh and he was a shareholder, you know, equity partner to leave and start the realm. And then and uh and we maintained the friendship through all the next iterations until he went to Hurley and became, you know, marketing team director. Yeah. Um and I was on the payroll there at that time too, direct for Bob, so we were working together again
0: yeah.
1: at 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 uh, Hurley. Uh and then the opportunity came for this you know, go well. He he read the tea leaves just like a few of the others that the Hurley thing was going in a direction they they didn't like. Yeah, and and he Evan they all found other places. You know, and yeah. his was the WSL. Yeah. Um, I think probably it's interesting. My my take on the WSL situation as it stands, and knowing a little bit about Dirk Ziff and having had conversations with him one-on-one, sat around. Yep. Um, uh, he's a fan, but he also realized that he's, he's writing the checks. Uh, and they're trying these combinations of how, how are we going to monetize this while we, we build the audience? And you have to have this balance, like Bob McKnight had said a long time ago at a SEMA summit, you have to have a balance of Harvard and salt water. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I, and I think in the, in this last year or two with Pat there and the change from the original crew uh, to the crew now, there's too much Harvard and not not enough salt water. And I think I think Pat was feeling uncomfortable. And, and 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 I and I would think just in a conversation, well, you know, I could just see you know Jeff Hurley saying, "Well, geez, why don't you come back work for us?" And probably just said it as a joke at yeah. first, right? <laughs> yeah. And then Pat went hmm, maybe I should ask that question at some point, even if it didn't happen right then, you know? Well,
0: well, that role he had at the WSL is probably the worst position in surfing, to be a commissioner, to be between the corporate interests of the WSL and the interests of the surfer. You're getting it from both ends. There's a special person that that can do that role, and there are very few, I think, and far between. Certainly Pat's personality doesn't necessarily fit that. He's a great guy. He's a fun-loving guy. Everyone loves him, but I'm not sure he... He would want. He would been, He would. Have, but he
1: would have been more on the saltwater side. Yes, well, and that uh, would have been buttonheads with the Harvard side. Right.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Which, <laughs> which makes me think. Okay, he's going. He's going. Wait a minute. We're doing an event at Newcastle. I'm out. You know, like the surfers don't want this.
1: Uh, yeah. I'm not sure about that though. At the moment, I think the surfers are happy that yeah. that Starkey has no. pulled off what he's and there's going to be four events in Australia and hopefully. COVID doesn't kill the four events, you know, who knows? Yeah. You know, I mean, they have to make that transition from New South Wales to Western Australia, um, you know, and and whether the what COVID restrictions are still going to apply when they get done at Newcastle and Narrabeen.
0: Yeah, and as you know, they change from state to state in Australia and it, the states it, have their own right. um, sort of... Quarantine uh, rules. Yeah, yeah, they have their own deal. Like
1: I, I, while we're still on that track a little bit... Yeah. When, when that all happened, and, and I think I just mentioned I had the funniest conversation with MR the other day they're having a contest in front of his house, right? Yeah. And both of us have won, won the Newcastle contest, and usually the waves are just like, shit. Yeah. And, and, so, and then they announced Narrabeen, and I went, oh, my God, we're going back to where it started, you know? And, and we surfed some events at Narrabeen, and oh, my God, it was so bad. And, and, uh, and I went, I suggested it to the WSL that they should reinstate the US Open of Surfing for the COVID because it makes sense. They've got to come back here to do... Trestles if they're going to do the you know the surf right. off for the end right. and the ranch, yeah. and, they're, and they're struggling to find locations right. that they can go because they're definitely not going to be able to go to Brazil. It's out of control over there. That's one right? of my questions. I it's, it, it's completely out. The COVID thing has yeah. exploded through yeah, the roof, horrible. Yeah, horrible. and they're not going to be able to go to Europe. There's no, there's no way. No. So where are they going to have these other – they want to do tri- like seven or eight events to qualify the five people for lowest? Yeah. Where are they going to have them? And, and and the WSL basically came back and said, Huntington's one of the worst waves on earth. We can't have the event there. And I start a la- lot. I go, come on, you guys. I go, you're going to tell me that Narrabeen and Merriweather are... <laughs> well, they... And, they, and they, they sent, one of them sent me a picture of Tom Carroll standing in the barrel at Narrabeen. I go, which decade was that? Exactly. Right? No, I, go, I can send you a picture of Kelly Slater in an eight-foot barrel at the south side that looks just like that. I go, every place has its day. But it makes sense, and, and it makes sense from a city point of view because if you bring the regular U.S. Open back, you got two or three hundred people coming from all over the world, yeah. right? And that just exposes the whole thing. Right. Whereas if you bring in the CT, you're only bringing thirty four and seventeen, and you can control it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's an interesting thing, right? Because um, I don't know the politics of of the, the state of California and how they're. I know that Orange County is ready to go. As far as Huntington Beach is concerned, this thing never even occurred. And, and they're ready to... Well,
1: from a city point of view and the permits that's concerned, the, the, right now the U.S. Open in its regular form is not confirmed because there's still no permits for the beach.
0: Yeah. And that's for August, right?
1: It's the last weekend of July, July and the yeah. fir- into the first weekend of August. Yeah. Well, straight after the Olympics.
0: That does make sense, right? But, but you're suggesting... But they're it- also
1: holding dates for later in the year. That's conversations that the U.S. Open would be later.
0: Oh, okay. That's interesting, right? So I I sense that... Let's look at it like this. They pull off Australia. We've got five events in the books now.
1: So they need two S- or three more.
0: Well, CJ won with five events. But we know they're doing Lamore, That's going to happen. So now we're at six events, right? I think Chopu is a no-brainer. I think that's going to happen because you're not going to have 100,000 freaks there. You're just going to have the local community... It's going to be very tightly controlled. So now we've got seven events. And I think seven events is enough. I think, frankly, I, agree. I think five events is enough because we have precedent with CJ. So, seven events. Do they throw out events or do we just take the, your results from your seven events?
1: I, who knows? Yeah. I think they're at the they're worried about just how many they can get done. Right. <laughs>
0: Let me ask you this um, What do you know about Rotten Island?
1: I actually asked Ian Kanga the same question this morning because I've never been there. He said at that time of year, the waves get great. Uh, There's a lot of south swell at that time of year, and you get the storms up north that send the winds offshore. He says more than likely they're going to score. Good. That's good to hear. And the wave itself... It's, it's open ocean waves, just like Margaret River. Okay. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's more, more like North Shore Hawaii waves, just okay. like West Australia is. Cool. You know.
0: Yeah, so we could get some meaty waves of yeah. consequence.
1: They're going to be the opposite of Narrabeen and Merriweather, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> what, um, who do you see doing well in these crappy, you know, presumed not excellent QS-style oh, waves? Hey,
1: well, if you look at the men's, how are you going to beat Flip Toledo and 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 Italo and, and Medina in these conditions? Yeah. It's not not going to happen. Well, it's it, like those guys are going to go Richter. It's, yeah, it's, and then and then those guys now are no slouches. You can go to Margaret River and they can win there too. Yeah, right. Right. So so this
0: leads me to Jordy Smith, which which I feel like Jordy uh, mentally, you know, he's married, he's got a kid. I think he's more centered and more.
1: Mentally So you should pair somebody with him.
0: Well Julian
1: of- Wilson. They both were in the finals yeah. of the ISA World Games in 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 two thousand and six. I coached against them. Yeah. Julian won, Geordie was second. Yeah. So they're both in the same window. Yeah. And and they just had that big press conference yesterday in Australia where they've renamed The Australian national team, like we have the wallabies and the kangaroos, it's called the. uh, I have to look it up because it's an Aboriginal name. They've rebranded the Australian Olympic and national teams, Mm -hmm. and it's named after a box jellyfish that can kill you, and it's an Aboriginal name. And I have to. Sounds like a marketing nightmare. (laughs) The actual artwork, and they had a big press conference. You know. You can't remember the name. This is a problem. Well, because you wait till I read it to you. That's my point. It's a brand. It's not a brand. <laughs> well, it, it, it will might become
0: the Irukandis. Yeah, Irukucan. Yeah, that's that's the, horrible.
1: Iruc- I'm sorry. Kanges. The Irakanjis. That's it. Irukandjis. What are you Australians going to like? Shrink this into? <laughs> Let's let- so we're going to be cheering instead of oi instead of oi oi Aussie. It's Irukandjis. I think you're going to shrink it down to G's. That's what I think going to Go G's! (laughs) But they had Julian, Stephanie, and Sally, which uh, I think Owens, our other Olympic athlete, he wasn't there. The three of them were as part of the opening press conference and the renaming of the Surfing Australia. Let me cut to the chase
0: here. Is Jordy Smith going to win a world title ever?
1: He should, but he's not going to. He's going to be another Tarsborough. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, and Julian's the same. They, to me, they, those two guys, are, in my opinion, are parallel yeah. on talent and ability. You know, they've won all the majors. They, they've been in close a couple of they, – they, they're right there. They're the same age. Yeah. It, it,
0: well, here's the thing. Interesting thing about Julian is he didn't have a good result at pipe. So now he's going to Newcastle. I know he's living there and he's training with Luke Egan, and, and that helps. But we're looking at – and Julian can do really great in small surf. He's got the air game. Geordie, on the other hand, he's got Newcastle and Narrabeen. Later on down the line, let's say he has a good run in Western Australia and does okay and has some results. He's got L'Amour, which he's vocally said he doesn't even like. And so things are stacking up more than ever against Geordie. Well, Bassey, it's all a matter of who can get
1: the lowers. Well, it's like the the the, 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 the the big thing that I think is disappointing, Slater's pulled out, right? Well, for now, but... But he, we won't be able to qualify. He could win. If he got the lowest, he could win. Still.
0: He, the, thing, the thing is, with the, the rumor on the street with Kelly is he's going to drop into Australia after all.
1: That's what I'm hearing. I had someone was with him just in the last three or four days. I had somebody that was at dinner in Hawaii a couple of days ago. And he, <laughs> so, who knows? But he's got to do his quarantine, though. He can't go there without quarantine.
0: Well, I, I'm I'm hearing he might drop into West. Well, Western. he better get he's, there. The, here's the thing: he's in, he, third, he, place he, right he's well, in third place right now. Well, well,
1: that's what I'm saying. If if it, hey, if ever there's a chance he could win another one, this is it because of the because of the odds. I agree, but he's got to have some results in. Right, he's got to
0: get to lowers. Well, to get to lowers though, let's right. first things first. He's got to have some results still right. in Australia. But if he could get to lowers, he could win the world title. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I, I, okay, let me ask you this: Who's your top five? Assuming Kelly is, get, stays on tour, gets to Australia, gets to Chopu, gets to Lemoore, gets a couple events in Australia. <laughs> in the, in the we haven't even five? talked about the chicks yet. But,
1: uh, but <laughs> who's your top five? Oh, I already named three of
0: them. I agree. No, no, but you're missing a big one. Obviously, John John. Well, yeah, John so, John. Okay, who's your fifth? Because this is what it's come down to. Everyone's in agreement on the, at least the top three. Felipe, some are questioning, but well, John John's got to do well at
1: Mer- Meriwether and I, I Narabin. Think, I don't think that's a problem. There's the, the Aussies are going to be fired up. You got you got guys. At Narrabeen? So you're telling me John John Florence is not going to be in your top five at Lowers? No, I didn't say that. Okay,
0: well that's that's what I'm trying to get at here. Like who who's your top five? Because you've named four John John Idolo, Felipe, and Gabe Medina. There's only one left.
1: Well, there's one guy that could screw it all up. Jack Robinson because of West Australia. Right, Rob? Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, so his, ch- his chances of winning both those are great. he could be john john in both those events over there
0: he might surprise us at the small wave venues on in uh new south wales as well maybe yeah but
1: but i mean he could get a result if he gets a result that's even just going to pump him up even more yeah. uh, when he gets to west australia <laughs> right
0: so the fifth one is a hard one right like you're thinking robbo um julian i guess is in the mix my fifth Actually, my fourth ahead of Felipe is Kanoa Igarashi, who I think has the mental game, has always had the mental game, and is now at like year Kanoa four. is clearly
1: a wild card, and, and, and the mentality of the Olympics could have a bearing on that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Who are we missing? So who, you, So who's your five? Who's your last guy? I know who your top four are, but who's your Well, last I think guy in
1: Australia, guy? the one guy that could be scary, particularly at Narrabeen and in West Australia, is Alan Wright.
0: yeah. That's interesting. We haven't even thought of Owen. Because when I think of Australia, I think of Connor O'Leary, and I actually think of Ethan Ewing. Now they're not, they're not, not, they're in not moving four, not the in, radar. Not in it.
1: a four-event run. Oh, okay. Interesting. Owen Wright Owen at Wright. Narraveen. Oh, my God, if there's any surf at Narraveen. Yeah. He'd he's, be scary. He's like Wayne Lynch. He'd be scary. 75.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, interesting stuff. Um, Who's the world champion?
1: At Lowers? Yep. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb. Well, it depends on who qualifies, but... You told me who qualifies. Right, okay. If it's at Lowers, Philippe Toledo. Wow.
0: That makes sense if it gets to Lowers, which brings me to my uh, uh, next uh, the question.
1: Be- in, in, in the years that they had the CT down there? Yeah. He never he never I don't think he won one. But I'll tell you what, the best seats that you saw were him. Yeah. <laughs> the the highest scoring heats I don't think he won, but he but the highest scoring heats down there were Philippe Toledo. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He, and he could come, go in as a high seed after Lamar and right. after a good result. He could be number two or number one right. going into it, which gives him a better opportunity. Let me ask you this. I'm of the opinion that the Final one day showdown of the world championship should not happen at lower trestles. It should happen at a wave of consequence. We're talking about the, the, the the apex of the season where all eyes are upon the top five surfers in the world. I feel like they should be at a wave of consequence. Should be at pipe. They should be at pipe. Absolutely. It's in September. Not going to happen. There are waves of consequence in September. What about Puerto Escondido?
1: <laughs> uh, uh, I can't wrap my head around that one. <laughs> that When we used to have the ASP Masters, yeah. they had one of them there. That's the only one I didn't go to. <laughs> I've never surfed there. Do you feel
0: like that would be a, a possibility, a wave of consequence like Puerto Escondido?
1: But it's a wave of con- consequence in what... It's not like pipe. It's 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 not like...
0: It's not as perfect. What if we had it at Chopu in September? That's certainly a possibility.
1: That's better than having a at <laughs> Port Escondido. Yeah.
0: Okay. And do you feel like lowers make sense?
1: Um... Well, us old schoolers are just having a hard time around wrapping around that you, one event wins you the world title. Yeah, you didn't have a campaign.
0: Well, you had to get in, right? Yeah, had had yeah, but to still, in.
1: but still, there's been guys come from behind that weren't the. Look at MR's run in '79 when he beats me in the final to win his first world title. He wasn't even in the mix it's because of all the shit that went down on the last day. Rabbit got beaten by Edwin Sansos, Bradshaw beat, I forget who he beat. Dane, Dane Kealowa got knocked out. That, that, all the guys that should have won the world title that you got knocked out. And Neymar ended up in the final against me. He had to beat me to win. Right. <laughs> so when
0: you say all us old school guys are disappointed that it's just one event to win the world title, who... who
1: Are we talking... We we just think that the best guy in the world is the guy that went around the world and surfed all the different breaks and scored enough points to be the champ.
0: Well, that guy's going to be able to to prove... I mean, he's going to be one of the top five. I guess. (laughs) (laughs) So, it sounds to me like you agree with me that perhaps Lowers isn't the best place to crown a champion, that it would be better for the sport in general, I feel... I mean, we went through a couple of years where we ended the season at friggin like, Nerebin. <laughs>
1: you know what I mean?
0: 89
1: or whatever it was. Yeah, Kong got beat by Damien.
0: Yeah, like that's, <laughs> wouldn't that have been better if it was in a wave of consequence? Like but was, that
1: result probably would have been different it, if that yeah, <laughs> Exactly. I mean, anyway,
0: I, I'm not going to drill down into that too much, but I just feel like, and I'm not saying lowers isn't a great wave to have a competition. I just don't feel like it's the last place where we should determine our champion.
1: It doesn't feel like, you know, just based on history, it doesn't feel that way.
0: Yeah. What does is, what is pro surfing look like in five years?
1: Depends whether <laughs> Ziff keeps writing the check. <laughs> I'm
0: glad you brought that up.
1: I'm glad you brought that up
0: because let's just say in five years he stops. He's like, it's, it's over. What, what happens with professional competitive surfing?
1: there'd be a lot of guys looking for a real job yeah. because there's no way. I mean, you've got to realize the tour um, began by the surf brand stepping up, and that, that's where we, at, right at this point, we need to give props to Rip Curl. Absolutely. Uh, because in 73, they turned Bells into a pro event, and the next year, because of that, the Coke contest, Graham Cassidy, convinced Coca-Cola to run the Coke in Sydney. And that was the birth of prize money contests. Other than Fred, what Fred was doing in a way, got to give Fred credit too. He, I mean, he had pipe masters going on, and the Duke had money, even though that wasn't Fred's contest. But but uh, and the Smirnoff, and so you have to give them props at this point because they're the only one of the brands that stepped up and still putting cash on the table to help the tour survive. But if 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 you know Dirk walked away there wouldn't be the tour like it is now with the infrastructure that it has and what i think would happen is you'd you'd go back to what i call the the grand slam events would probably still continue like Rip Curl Bells would still have an event uh Billabong Pipe Masters even if it wasn't Billabong the Pipe Masters would still happen because there'd be te- television revenue against those kinds of events so you'd have isolated events that like in tennis that'd be the grand slam there'd be three or four events that would survive but the rest of them
0: i'm of the opinion that that if this happened we would obviously we would decentralize and i think that what would happen is you would have somebody in australia run australia events and determine five guys from australia and you would have brazilians run Brazilian events and determine five guys in Brazil and you'd have Europe r- determine five guys and you'd have North America and you'd have Hawaii and you'd have wherever some other places determine and you would bring these five surfers each you know North America US, USA surfing would bring their five all of these nation states would be represented and they would all go to Hawaii for the
1: triple crown of surfing. Still someone has to write a check <laughs> I, I mean what, that's a great for, for that's what? a great concept
0: i mean that's that's where it's up to each nation state like let's just say i, I don't know who it is in australia but how
1: they get look where the prize money levels at and you gotta you gotta realize now you, you you we're leaving out one important thing that's not how it used to be the chicks are on par with the guys and so you no one's gonna Since no, nobody's gonna nobody in this current world that we live in yeah is gonna do that without the women coming along for the ride? It's not gonna happen.
0: Well, it's it's interesting even the way we said that that they're coming along for the ride as if they're luggage.
1: They're not. <laughs> they're not though. The, the women's tour at the moment is completely legitimate. I mean, the, the girls are surfing like unbelievable in certain conditions. Yeah. I mean, it, it it was proven that when they put them out at Pipe this year. Granted, those girls haven't had the experience at pipe might be different if they've had winners of being able to compete out there and that but when they threw them out there when they couldn't finish at Honolulu Bay yeah. it was pretty embarrassing it was um, but at Honolulu Bay those girls were ripping
0: here's <laughs> here's something that, that as I've excavated this concept of what surfing looks like in five years what it really looks like is the ISA. What it really looks like is Fernando's in charge. What it re- <laughs> seriously, what it looks like is well, the nation states already got well, this shut up. Well,
1: but Blasi, then think about it. So surfing would will have been in the Olympics, and so now we have the Olympics in twenty twenty four at Chopu. So how how does one qualify for that next Olympics?
0: Through the ISA.
1: Well, this time it was a partnership, remember, between the WCT and the ISA. Oh, right. With ISA is no, in charge. But
0: there is no WSL. What I'm saying in five years
1: Yeah, so then for sure it'll it'll revert to the ISA for qualifications for the Olympics. No but,
0: but but my point is is that well we want to have professional surfing too. <laughs> it's, it, no no no
1: it's going back it's going back to how when I was on the Australian team and we turned up as a team. That was the biggest thing in the world in those days. Yeah. You you turned up for the Australian team, the South African team the, the, that's right?
0: kind of how it's going to be that's what I'm saying it's just going to be five five guys and then the ISA
1: race. World Games would become the
0: pro thing because with right. pro and amateurs like this anyway it's not like it's separate but there's
1: no prize money in the but ISA there will be
0: except for the Olympics the Olympics will be like oh you know got to keep it real but but the reason I think it could turn into the Fernando running the deal or whoever is in charge of the ISA is that they have the infrastructure. They already have relationships well, no, with everyone. Have, absolutely. So it's just like, let's just make pro surfing. Call, turn it on and take some funds over here and give them some, you know. We've got to have – or if pro surfing doesn't exist except for these little – Pro events
1: uh, will exist. Yeah, pro
0: events, right. But we won't be able to crown a world champion.
1: Well, that – you have to go back to think about how that happened in 76 is retroactively right. is that, you know like rarick and Hemmings called up peter beness and graham cassidy and doug warwick and said hey listen i want to add all your events up into declare a world champion and it happened to be me I know. Congratulations! <laughs> you are our first IPS world champion that's 1976
0: right. that's yeah. right well it's an interesting world that we live you mentioned the girls there was a my partner on my other podcast who interviewed Sage Erickson. She said that she didn't think winning a world title was necessarily important. Does that strike you as wrong for a professional surfer to say that?
1: You know, I coached Sage to the Bronze medal in the ISA I, I, World Junior Championships. I did not know that. Yeah, that was my last coaching stint. She got What did you do to her? Why did <laughs> No, what I did to her was I got her to the bronze after she cashed it in and was failing. And there's an an incredible photo of me reading the the riot act in Portugal because she mailed it in and dropped back into the uh, repercharge rounds. Came back from the repercharge to win our only Mm -hmm. bronze medal, our only medal in Portugal. And she's never forgot that. I stay in touch with Sage. Um, Knowing her mindset a little bit and from that coaching experience... I could see that. I could see that comment. Yeah. Uh, versus her arch rival at that time was Courtney Conlogue, which is completely opposite side yeah. of the <laughs> the equation. Yeah. There's only one thought in Courtney Conlogue's mind every time she pulls paddles out in the heat in the water: is I want to be the world champ.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's the way it should be. I think, right? If you're on the tour, there's a goal here, and yeah I guess everyone goes about it a different way, maybe It's
1: what I call there's certain people that are happy to be tradesmen, yeah they're going to win some heat, lose some heaps, and make a living yeah <laughs> I hear you
0: Let me ask you real quick, and then I'll let you go. um Big Wednesday, this is the biggest break in your professional surfing career, correct and give made
1: me- made well, I made more money from being in that movie than I made from any time through pro surfing. But uh, but it also in my peer group arguably made me more famous because even today I get so much interaction on playing Jack Barlow. Yeah. I mean, I'm going by to sign some balsa signatures today for Jack Barlow models that Roger Hines shapes. Cool, right? He's got some orders and he calls me up and I go sign sign the 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 uh, balsa, or the tissues and the, mm-hmm. they have the Jack Barlow signed by Peter Townend, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, once or twice a year, I, I do these, uh, where I get auctioned off for dinner for eight people at Duke's, you know, where I show the movie and tell you what went on behind the scenes while we're watching the movie, you know, the real well, story. That's
0: what I wanted to get out right now. That's, <laughs> but I guess you got to pay to hear that. Apparently. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and that's a fun thing to do. And, yeah. um, and, uh, and Denny, I don't know if you know, has just rewritten with Milius' uh, blessing and a little bit of input, the book, the novel that came. There was never a book, a novel written. It was written after the screenplay. And it came out and it was a little paperback. But now he's rewritten and expanded the thing. And it's printing as we speak. Oh, a, interesting. A, a new edition of the novel, Big Wednesday. But
0: The storyline and the storyline the story is, is the same,
1: same expanded a little bit though. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, so big Wednesday from a point of view of, of uh, you know it got it got written off in by our own media and also in the mainstream back in its day, but today it's complete opposite. It's like it's like lauded as the the greatest surf movie of all time, <laughs> coming of age. It's like Rocky Horror Picture Show, right? Right.
0: We're all singing it at midnight. <laughs> I've told you my Milius story about Big Wednesday and his roommates. Do you recall that story?
1: Wasn't that when you were making the, the, the uh the story about the Vietnam guys, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I was hanging with Milius and he he said, Look, he was um roommates at USC with um Yeah, Spielberg, Spielberg and Spielberg yeah, 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 uh, I know all I know all you know that story. Yeah, yeah, Do you know that story? Yeah, yeah. Where, where they the, no, they, no. they each gave each other oh, yeah. a part of the a part yeah. of Big Wednesday and Jaws and um and Spielberg
1: says, "Well, well never, we never did that again."
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Melius did good on the, those other two guys. The other one is Star Wars. Um,
1: Lucas. Yeah, George yeah. George Lucas. And the other one that was in that mix is the guy that did North Shore. Um, Randall Kleiser. He's oh, in that. He he's was... in that
0: crew too. Oh well, the way Melius told it it was those three guys. They... Yeah, but
1: Kleiser was in the in the mix of that thing. He just wasn't part yeah. of that group that. Right. Got lauded for it all, right? Okay. You know, yeah. and and uh, yeah, I mean, you look you look back on on that that movie, and you know, of course, Jan's no longer with us, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, who I was pretty good friends with, yeah. Um, but you know, you, you look at any other movie that's been made about the culture of surfing, at least from a Hollywood point of view. Um, what's really funny is you should go back and watched Ride the Wild Surf.
0: I love that movie.
1: Because it's Big Wednesday before Big Wednesday.
0: That's a great movie.
1: You know, with Dora and Greg Null being the doubles, like I, yeah. like Kanga and I and Jay Riddle were, right? That's a
0: really, <laughs> that's a really good movie.
1: No, no, yeah. at that time. it As far as capturing kind of, yeah. you know,
0: what, you know that, right. d- that day at Waimea and the coming of age right. and... Guys, you know, marrying or not marrying. No, and no, all no. All that stuff. It, no, 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 it, no. Yeah. It was
1: the pre precursor
0: to Big Wednesday, in my opinion. You think they could remake Big Wednesday? Do you think it would make sense to just redo it? Like, no, no. <laughs> you say that rather like you don't want to see it. Almost like that would bum you out.
1: It would not bum me out. I just don't think it would be a commercial se- success. Se- sequels rarely, you know, hit the mark again. Yeah. How do you how do you how do you tell that story differently?
0: I, I'm just saying, tell it exactly the same, but with, just redo it.
1: You yeah, know, tell it. Again. You could. I just watched both versions of the Bad News Bears. First one's better. With uh, the second one, I'd never seen before with Billy Bob Thornton.
0: Yeah, I've never seen it.
1: It's good, yeah. it, it it has more sexual innuendo because it was later, it was 15 years after. Yeah. But one final thing, Yes. So you'd probably find this pretty interesting. What do you got here? So as one of my roles in life is I oversee Huntington Beach Surf Museum, which has been shut now for a year, just like most museums. Yeah. But I've been curating uh, this... Uh, Exhibit to when we reopen, which will probably be somewhere between now and Memorial Day, mm-hmm. where I've gone and found how they discovered surfing in California. Yeah. And I found these most amazing images finding California surf and, and a lot of movie stuff too. And it talks about the places like flood control at Long Beach and Dana Point and Stanley's and before, before and San Onofre and how, how those places got discovered malibu right and the stories bassy are incredible and um and one of the things that got overlooked in all of that so in 1980 somewhere around the early mid 80s severson wrote a story about those days that was published in surfer that everyone's forgotten and he was around for all of that he was around for all of that yeah and uh and he tells the story of how they went and Surfed all these places and found these places and who the crew were, and I'm going to republish that story as part of this exhibit in a little mini book, oh, cool. right? And uh, so this is going to be the exhibit. This is Ricky Blake did this new, new map of the spots back then. It's like Griffin style. Yeah, I'm going to have that as a t-shirt and and, and the post you can walk away with. But but uh, so
0: people should look for this book and this this yeah, exhibit, and, at, and, 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 you guys and it all starts up.
1: with the princes in, princes in Santa Cruz, right? And then the Bit that's not in here at the moment because there's twelve of these. There's I just bought you a sampling. There's twelve yeah. of these big panels that are going to tell the story in the exhibit, yeah. and I, I have artifacts. I actually have uh, a guy that lives across the street from his grandma lived here, and he he has her board and oh cool that's the real deal that was written there right, right at, in at, the 30s at that flood channel that, right. <laughs> in LA.
0: basically PT's pointing to a perfect wave that goes forever. It's a right hander. That that breaks as, sand spit like super it's, it's a sand spit from the Los Angeles Flood Channel before they built the harbor in LA, or they expanded on right the harbor. where the Queen
1: Mary is now.
0: Right where the Queen Mary is now. Yeah, there's a perfect <laughs> right hander that's ridiculous. Yeah, beautiful. Well, I look forward to seeing that. Huntington Beach Surf Museum is where we can yeah. see that.
1: It'll right. it'll it'll open uh, sometime between now and Memorial Day weekend.
0: Cool. Well, maybe we can. Um, if it, if it makes sense, maybe there's something we can do at the boardroom show to help yeah. with that in October. Maybe it's too late. but No, yeah. no. Well,
1: we're planning to leave this installation in for the rest of the year. Yeah. Okay, good. Maybe, yeah. maybe
0: there's a seminar or something we, yeah. we can do. That might be a lot of well, fun.
1: Well, I, I hopefully it, it's not the top priority, but I've actually found movie footage of most of all of these places. Wow. And, uh, and I'm trying to produce a short 12, 15-minute mm-hmm. uh, video of it, too, that we could show. I'd be you know, right? would Right? But that's not the priority at the moment is to actually do the installation. <laughs> first things first. There's a lot of work involved. Well, there. no. I, I have a binder. You know, me and my binders. The binder on the historical part is freaking five inches thick. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. going to do as some... But people are going to really trip out reading the John Teverson story of the time. I mean, I, I hadn't... I yeah. Actually, to be honest, I don't think I read it back in the original day when it was published. Yeah. And when I read it, I went wow people need to read this you know yeah. like <laughs> well, I'm a history geek so I'm looking yeah, forward too. to it yeah me too well are. it's like re- it's like reading it, it's it's like reading that the, the royal sport you know when Jack London wrote the first real story about surfing yeah. right yeah you can we I, I I read that and then Gilovich republished it in Surfing magazine as a result wow. I said Gilovich you need to put this in the magazine People need to read that it. That surprises me that
0: you told Gilovich to put some old thing that's not youth-oriented in Surfing <laughs> and, and Magazine. And he up. did in one
1: of our special issues. Oh, okay. it, yeah. it was, it did Now well, I get it. It wasn't in the regular issue. <laughs> I think it was, was in... Remember, we did a, we did a concept of uh, three special issues in the 25th anniversary. It was uh, waves, surfers, and people. Mm. Or surfboards. Yeah, surfboards, Thank waves. God and yeah. there was
0: surfboards involved. Yeah,
1: no, it was surfboards. First yeah. one was surfboards. Yeah. And the second one was waves, and the third one was people.
0: Let me ask you this, because this is a good segue. This is my final question for you, and I'll let you go. (laughs) There's a Mount Rushmore of surfing. You get to carve four faces in the granite. Who are the four faces, PT?
1: Uh, I'll give you the first and last, Duke Slater. It's debatable who's in between them. That's yeah, what you're here for, for it's God. It's debatable who's in between. Come on, PT,
0: give me some names. First of all, I question Slater. I think there's a better one than him, but go ahead. I get How, for, can, you, the, how can you question the goat? Well, because... At, at 49, look, he's number three in the world. Look at it like this. <laughs> I'm not questioning his competitive prowess. I'm looking at it like people from all over the world are going to Mount Rushmore to look and to acknowledge and this might make you vomit a little bit. <laughs> what about Laird Hamilton and Slater's spot? I'm not saying he's the goat competitively. I'm thinking he's he represents modern contemporary surfing probably to the to the mainstream better than Kelly does. In your opinion. Okay, there you go. Okay. <laughs> so who are the two between Duke and Slater? You may have mentioned one of
1: them. Uh I think you. I think you. <laughs> you know, I got. Uh, you have to have a chick in there. You you can't have it without one chick. You have to. <laughs> you have to. Who's the woman? <laughs> yeah. You know, that that's a really funny question because who well, because who you're talking about what they had impact wise on on, yes, on our culture exactly. And I always say Gidget because she's the fairy godmother of surfing. If, if it wasn't for her dad writing that book, all that sixty shit might not have happened.
0: That's interesting. That's a, that, that could be true. That, that, I mean, that is true, but that could be worthy of carving. You see her worth. latest
1: big feature story in Vanity Fair. It's incredible.
0: Okay, so we've got Duke, Gidget, Somebody else and Kelly Slater. So who's in between Gidget and Slater?
1: Tom Blake's in there somewhere. He had such an impact on the, on and in, in doing this project. Oh, my God, you suddenly realize the impact that he had. Who's more important, Gidget or Bruce Brown? Bruce Brown is clearly one for consideration.
0: I mean, you could argue that the Endless Summer had as big or bigger than Gidget. Granted, it was maybe eight years later.
1: Yeah, my God, it's so hard to get down because if you go if you go back and study that history because I'm just finishing that uh, surfing Walk of fame. I don't know if I told you, a publishing project. I've just finished a 182 coffee page coffee table book on all the duct, inductees. 25 years. Them. That's a lot of work. Where I wrote the bio. I didn't write them. Uh, Mike Shannon wrote the bios, but but I constructed, selected photos, did the whole lot. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny that each inductee has a page and somehow in the imagination, how they match up you end up with a spread with bud brown and bruce brown together oh and you and you look and you read you read those two bios and you before there was bruce the impact that bud had was ridiculous yeah
0: <laughs> and and that's kind of what i get out with like you know so so the question is would there have been a bruce brown without a bud brown
1: because we know there was going to be a dude well you you, you gotta my is uh, one that'll just you for a wild card all over the place, Simon Anderson. Quite possibly. Quite- <laughs> I mean, the forty I, years ago, and we're still all on the same trip. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an interesting one, right?
0: right? It's an interesting one. That which one do we put in there? You know, Simon could be in there.
1: Culturally, uh, the impact that he's had. I agree. On our when you're talking about the cultural impact,
0: right. So you've got Gidget, Simon, Slater, (laughs) and uh, Duke's a no-brainer. Duke is a no-brainer. It's kind of like the top five at at Lowers. We know there's at least Duke. And I understand Slater's being up there, but I sense that – I guess the question is, who's a bigger contemporary figure? Is it Slater or Laird? Like if if you went to the middle of Australia –
1: it's Slater. Led's big, but he's not Slater.
0: Yeah. All right. I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> PT, thank you so much for being here. I'm glad, no problem, you're, glad you're healthy I'm sure and safe. I'm sure you edit it and
1: make me look I, good. I
0: don't edit anything. You don't? No, it's, it's on.